Welcome to the Public Morality. During the 1960s, a decade punctuated by major grassroots movements annually, Cesar Chavez, along with Dolores Huerta, founded the National Farm Workers Association, which later became United Farm Workers Labor Union. In doing so, Chavez became part of the pantheon of individuals who committed their lives to human dignity. A new documentary celebrates the life and legacy of Cesar Chavez, A Song for Cesar, a documentary film by Abel Sanchez and Andres Alegria, presents a unique view of the life and legacy of Chavez and the farm workers movement. The film tells a previously untold story about the musicians and artists, including Joan Baez, Maya Angelou, and Carlos Santana, among others, who dedicated their time, creativity, and even reputations to peacefully advance Chavez's movement to gain equality and justice for America's suffering farm workers. In addition to producers Abel Sanchez and Andres Alegria, we're also joined by Harvard professor David Carrasco. Gentlemen, welcome to the public morality. Thank, Thank you. you. Good to be here. Uh, Abel Sanchez, I, I want to begin with you. Um, this wonderful documentary. Uh, begins and ends with song. Talk about the connection of the project to its title, A Song for Caesar. It, it came from uh, an inspiration uh, in a studio. I was in there and, um, and basically, to me, it felt like Caesar Chavez's spirit entered into the studio that night because uh, there was no intention of, of writing a song for Caesar. And, and after we jammed a bit, me and the engineer, I said, just run the tape. And I ran off some lyrics and it just came that night at that, at that moment. And at the end of it, it was like, um, I just felt that there was something that Cesar was about, Cesar Chavez, because I had quite a, an influence in my life with that movement, Cesar Chavez and farm workers. So that's how it became a song for Cesar. And the connection, I think, was more uh, more spiritual than anything, and and creative in a sense of uh, that creativity that comes. Uh, uh, Maya Angelou told me that's uh, how art comes at many times without intention, <laughs> and that's that's basically how it started. So from there on, the connection being the title song for Cesar and, and the, the theme of the song, it developed into uh, the documentary. I mean, that's that was like the seed. And one thing led to another where we just followed the path of trying to uh, describe through that, through that song uh, the legacy and the spirit of Cesar Chavez and the farm worker movement and Dolores Huerta, naturally, too, the whole, the whole group. Professor Carrasco, who is Cesar Chavez? Well, Cesar Chavez is many things to many people, but to the makers of this film, uh, Cesar Chavez was a charismatic heroic person who represented uh, some of the deepest values in the Mexican-American community, in, including uh, three things that, that really stand out to me. First of all, Cesar Chavez comes from an agricultural working family. That is, he was a man of the land. Uh, not only a man who worked on the land, but a man who valued the land. And that's a, that's a tradition that goes all the way back to Mexico. Mexico itself is a land of great agricultural production and workers. Uh, secondly, Cesar Chavez was not only a man of the land, 
but he was a man of, of lucha, a man of struggle. Uh, you know, one of the things that's important in this, in this film is the idea of the cry. Uh, one, of, one of the, I think it's Jorge Santana says at the beginning that the connecting factor that connects all of this together to Cesar Chavez and tells you who he is, was the cry. He said, it's the cry of the instrument, the cry of the notes, the cry of the lyrics, the cry of the labors, and the cry of Cesar Chavez to make a better way for these farm workers. Well, you know, this is also a deeply Mexican thing. Mexico itself was born out of an old idea of a grito. You cry, in other words, you call to other people to join you as Cesar Chavez did in the struggle for justice. Uh, and this is the second thing that, that it seems to me is very much uh, Cesar, Cesar Chavez. Uh, but the third thing that Cesar Chavez is represented so well in this film is the combination of political struggle and art, especially the art of music and storytelling. And Cesar Chavez, as you see in parts of the film, himself is not only a person who has charismatic qualities, but he's a storyteller. He tells the story of the struggle itself and the future uh, of these farm workers. And what's so great about this film is it takes Cesar Chavez and it makes him not only the individual that he was, but the kind of collective person that we all strove to, we all strive to join. And this is my last point here. At some point toward the end of the film, um, Mr. Valdez says that he absorbed Cesar Chavez into his soul, into his life. And that in a sense is who Cesar Chavez is for many of us, the person that we have tried to absorb into us as we continue the struggle uh, for justice in this country. On a more um, uh, personal level about Cesar Chavez, he was uh, a, a migrant farm worker from early on in life. Uh, as David described, he, he was, his family came from the land and worked the land, but early in life uh, came to California and traveled the fields as a migrant farm worker. And uh, as a very young person, he recognized uh, tremendous injustices that existed in the fields of California, in the agricultural industry, in terms of how migrant farm workers, farm workers in general, were being treated. So at an early uh, point in his life, he dedicated himself to doing something about them. And um, he described himself uh, later on in life and the way he would normally describe himself was as a labor organizer, as a labor leader, a union organizer. And, you know, I, I think that uh, the background that David just explained about uh, Cesar's history and the history of landed people from the land um, was the driving force behind the commitment that Cesar made to labor organizing uh, for the rest of his life. Well, Andres, I want to stay with you because I want you to take us back to say 1958 Salinas and talk about what that work, the farm workers work looked and felt like. It's um, described pretty well in the film by uh, a number of the, the people that we interviewed who actually were farm workers and grew up as farm workers and worked in the fields. It was a difficult life. 
It was low wages. It was um, uh, long hours. It was uh, 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 not, not too far away from slave labor in many cases. Um, the uh, uh, workers in the fields uh, had, were working under really bad conditions um, in terms of, of hours and breaks, uh, et cetera. They were often uh, exposed to uh, pesticides, chemicals in the fields that affected the, the families and the, the children of the workers. One thing to remember about the uh, farm workers struggle in organizing efforts uh, around the time that you're talking about, 58, uh, the early 60s, is that many of the farm workers at that time and previously were Filipino farm workers. And they, in fact, the Filipino farm workers were the first ones to start the labor organizing efforts in the fields of California. You know, one thing that struck me about the film, I think it was Taj Mahal who said that when he looked at the conditions of the farm workers, you know, in, in the area that you're talking about, Andres, that it was just an extension from what he understood to be sharecropping. So, which really gets to, a, a, I guess, a larger point, um, and I'll, I'll direct this back to uh, uh, Professor Carrasco, is that there's something about the American economy that has always needed a cheap and exploitable labor force for its sustainability. Talk, speak to that if you would. You know, that's, that point is made so well in, in the film um, by Luis Valdez when he says, it's an enormous, here's this quote, enormous ironic injustice that a nation as powerful as this one has to rely on cheap, stoop labor. Um, and, and then he says, but Cesar showed us the way, which was, you know, don't be on your knees, stand up and organize. Uh, but you point to something very important, Byron, and that is, on the one hand, all of us can celebrate to some degree the achievements of the American economic system. But on the other hand, to tell the truth is that social stratification has been uh, a deadening thing for so many people in this country. Um, this society is organized on a, on a ladder. And some people, because of their skin color, because of the, the way that their families were able to accumulate wealth, they're at the top of that ladder. But what's holding that ladder up, what's holding it in place has been these workers, not only the African-Americans who in a sense created so much wealth out of the cotton industry, but also the Filipino and Mexican workers along the border in the Southwest who have fed the nation. You know, at the beginning of the film, Maya Angelou says something. She says, you know, everybody should see this film. And one of the reasons everybody should see the film is because the Mexicans and the Filipinos and the blacks were feeding everybody through their labor. And, and this is something that is often left out. You know, I see on TV all the time, people talking about farmers, but they don't talk very much about the farm workers and they don't talk very much about, you know, the sharecroppers. And yet that, that's the majority of the people who helped to build these farms, uh, these uh, plantations into productive economic worlds so that the rest of the country could really benefit. And I think that this film makes all of this very clear uh, while raising up the capacity of Blacks and Browns, Filipinos and others to join together to try to not let this movement die. 
I'm going to stay with you, Professor Carrasco, for just a moment, because when, when I was talking with Andres, we started the timeline in 1958. Uh, we, could, we could have gone back much further, but 1958 is roughly 20 years after John Steinbeck writes The Grape, Grapes of Wrath. And so when you read Steinbeck's book, the race may have changed, but the exploitable conditions remain a constant. Oh, that's, that's so important. I mean, absolutely, the Okies, all the people that he talks about in that, uh, uh, writes about so brilliantly in that novel, uh, you know, these, these are people, uh, you know, along with Native Americans, who are at the bottom of this ladder, the bottom of this, this pyramid, holding it up, in a sense, with their, uh, with their bodies, with their spirit, with their ability to, to continue to, to work and try to make a way for themselves within the so-called democratic nation. And I think that uh, the exploitation that you're talking about can go across the racial world itself. It just so happens that... Uh, uh, it, it's, it's been proven to be somewhat easier for people of lighter skin to climb that ladder, uh, even while so many other people are, are left in the fields and in, and in jobs where they have very little, uh, very little uh, access to, 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 to climbing uh, the ladder. Abel, I, 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 in, in preparation, I just, after watching the film, I Googled champions of human dignity. That's actually, that's literally what I Googled. Uh, champions of human dignity. And I came up with some rather interesting people that, 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 that immediately came up. Uh, Cesar Chavez, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, Desmond Tutu. So, what, and after watching uh, a song for Caesar, I, 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 I wondered, do you think, especially from your lens as an artist, are we still too guilty of sort of holding these individuals in a straitjacket, i.e. Nelson Mandela, you know, what he did was for Black South Africans, Martin Luther King was for civil rights, and, and, uh, 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 and Eleanor Roosevelt would say, say for women, and Cesar Chavez for the farm workers. But if you expand their projects, they're really as Martin Luther King said, that we're all connected in this inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. So don't we miss something when we try to put these individuals like Cesar Chavez? I mean, he's much more, I mean, he defines himself as a, as a labor organizer, but he's so much more than that, as are these other individuals. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's, um, it's a common fiber that runs through all those great leaders and people that, uh, have that uh, human compassion for life and for just everybody, regardless of race, color, ethnicity. And that's what I think inspires me, all those leaders, uh, that common uh, purpose. And, and so Caesar being a hero and, and Martin Luther King and all the fellows and people you described, um, I think those of what it gave me and still gives me so much uh, I guess you'd call it courage or, or inspiration to try to do the right thing. And, 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 and I can't say enough about uh, that fiber that runs through all those lives of those people and, and many others. You know, um, I ended up working in civil rights uh, uh, for quite a while, about 20 years. And, and I think I was led there because of people like these uh, that we just spoke of um, to have uh, to uh, honor and acknowledge the dignity 
you know, and, and give people strength. One, one thing about uh, the Cesada, the people have asked me why, you know, I, I wrote this song or how it came about. And I was just realizing, I was looking at this, uh, I attended a lot of events over the years in my civil rights work and Hispanic program managing and stuff like that. And what I found was they were at the, especially at the Cesar Chavez dinners and uh, breakfast they have every year, they would always say the prayer, Cesar Chavez, the invocation. And, um, and, and I'm reading it now, I'm looking at it because of what people are saying here. And, and it says uh, to uh, give me honesty and patience so that I can work with others, bring forth song and celebration so that the spirit will be alive among us. Let the spirit flourish and grow so that we will never tire of the struggle. And, and I, I can see where those words, hearing them over and over over the years, became a part of, you know, a big part of why, you know, I try with my art to also express that as well because those people have carried a message to me and, and my, my hope and, and works in, in the art. And many of the artists that I've worked with have that same uh, desire. I think art is a, is a description, is a way to describe the injustice maybe, and also to uh, pass on the hope and also to uh, give people maybe the idea of, of what can you do? What can you do with your, your life? It doesn't have to be an artist. You can be whatever it is that your profession or vocation might be. But what can you do? And that's what's inspired me with this film. It's like uh, Jorge Santana, who um, you know co-wrote the song with me, the song for Cesar. We had the same idea since once we realized what we had accomplished with this song being written and the, and the cries Professor Carrasco talked about that Jorge played so beautifully. We realized in our heart, that's what we wanted was this um, cry and this message and this film or this uh, song to to give that to people you know to generations and future generations because uh, you heard it i guess in, in the film to taj mahal and little joe and uh, luisa valdez danny valdez they all have that same uh, influence by people like cesar chavez martin luther king everybody that that you spoke of mandela mm -hmm. so I, i'm just honored to be part of this movement that we hope uh, will reach people Byron, if I can add something to that very good comment. You know, this film is uh, not only an entertaining film, but as, as you saw, it's an educational film. And one of the educational goals of this film is, you, is it's so inclusive of people, not only inclusive of different races and different ethnicities uh, who gathered around uh, Cesar Chavez's movement, but also gender. There's many powerful women in this film. Um, uh, and they, they play a very big role, not only as artists, but as workers. And of course, Dolores Huerta is fundamental in this film. And so this film does exactly what, what you're saying. And that is the need to break down these silos, to think of Lord Luther King only in terms of black liberation or um, someone like Cesar Chavez only in terms of, because all of these people struggled for this really radical inclusive uh, liberation movement. You know, I often hear people say, well, black and brown, but look, the truth is a lot of my black brothers and sisters, they don't know enough about the Browns and the Browns don't know enough about the blacks. And if it was up to me, in order for anybody to become a citizen of this country, they'd have to watch the Eyes on the Prize series because they'd learn how much African-Americans had saved this democracy in the 60s and 70s. And I'd also like my black brothers and sisters 
to take a look at films like this and the music that comes out of this, so they also can be educated. So that in the future, the kind of hope that you see uh, in the film, in the songs at the beginning and the end of this film, Set Me Free, that we can really make progress in that direction. Well, well Professor Carrasco, I'm gonna stay with you. Uh, so what we're really talking about is that the issue itself is secondary. I'm not saying that the farm workers issues were secondary, but the issues, whether it's farm workers or civil rights or women's struggle, is secondary to this larger quest for human dignity. Well, I think so. You know, Taj Mahal has one of the great lines in this film. He says that no matter where you go, there's always two things that all people share. He said, one is food and music. <laughs> and he says, you know, even before you learn the language, you learn the music because the language, because the music, he calls it the language of our cosmos. That is that inclusive world that all of us have to share. And I think that what's really crucial to the future of this democracy, what I like to say is you got to have the new demography make it a better democracy. But in order for the new demography of all these different people, they've got to learn each other's struggles and histories. And they have to learn what Carlos Fuentes says, that I'm a part of everybody else who's on this in the, in the room. I'm a part of everybody else in some way who's listening to this show. And it's that kind of solidarity that this film is pushing for. And I think that you yourself, Byron, is very interested in. Yes. Um Andres, I'm gonna, um, I was struck by one of the consistent elements uh, 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 that, that, that the film sort of produced, that one of the elements of change that the film illustrated was the contribution of the arts through paintings, literature, and obviously song. Talk about the influence and importance of the arts in general to this movement. Well, I think that, um, again, it begins with a description of Cesar himself, Cesar Chavez. As a young man, he was a, really involved in, in music. He, he loved music, he played music, he danced. Um, he wore, uh, he was a pachuco. He, he's described in the film as having been a pachuco. Um, Describe in, that if you would, sir. In, in the uh, zoot suit culture of the, uh, uh, Mexican-American youth in the 40s and 50s and into the 60s of wearing the, the zoot suit and dancing to popular music, jazz, uh, a great appreciation of jazz. Um, definitely is uh, the background that Cesar, had, even though he was a, from, a, from a, a, a rural agricultural background, he was definitely involved in the popular culture. Uh, and was influenced by the popular culture growing up. So um, it's, I think that the, the idea that we're trying to communicate in the film is that culture, whether it's music, whether it's literature, whether it's uh, the uh, visual arts painting is, um, is ingrained in people's lives and comes out in, in different ways, in different people, depending on their circumstances. In the case of the, um, the farm workers movement, there's a long history of, of music and, and uh, visual arts as well in uh, Mexican uh, struggle, 
in, in the history of Mexico, uh, the corridos that um, uh, I think it was uh, Danny Valdez talks about in the film. Corridos played, which are uh, songs, uh, played a huge part in the Mexican revolution uh, in terms of letting people know uh, stories about the revolution, news about the, the revolution uh, through the music. Well, this is a tradition that was carried on, uh, I think, into the farm workers movement and the Chicano movement as, as a whole. And as it turns out, it's, it's something that's, that is uh, a real part of movements throughout the world. Uh, the new song movement in Latin America, certainly music in the civil rights movement played a huge role. And um, I think that this is what we're trying to, dis to, to describe in the film, which was a, a, a two-part thing. Number one, that the movement uh, of, of the farm workers, the struggle of the farm workers inspired artists Chicano artists uh, during that period of the 60s and the 70s to produce art that reflected that reality. And at the same time, the art that they produced inspired the farm workers movement to, uh, to move forwards. In other words, it was working back and forth um, and you know, produced not only results in the, in the movement, but results in the, the, the art as well. So that you see a, a, just an incredible um, tradition of Chicano art that has grown since that time. Abel, I, I was struck by one of the, I think it was Joan Baez that said that she didn't want to be a part of a, a movement that didn't have music. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. Uh, and, you know, every, uh, in my experience, in my, my lifetime too, uh, I think back of uh, all the movements that uh, I've experienced since, you know, growing up in that era of the 60s and 50s and 60s. And, uh, and I started realizing how that, uh, how important, yeah, music is and uh, it has been in my life. And, and, I, and I've spoken to so many others during the, the, the years in this project. And, and they kind of acknowledge and affirm that it's the soundtrack of our lives, the different songs. You know, you had uh, Martin, Marvin Gaye back in the day of the Vietnam War, Brother, mm -hmm. Brother, you know, all the different groups that uh, were giving me messages and not just me, but everybody, right? Uh, songs that were became hits and there was a connection between movements of the time of the 60s, especially, and the 70s a bit. Uh, there was a lot of uh, great music and songs that uh, gave, you know, the strength, the strength of the movement and people related and realized what this uh, social movement that was going on was about just through the message well, of a song, you know? Well, this kind of goes back, I'm gonna stay with you, Abel, but this sort of goes back to the point that uh, Professor Carrasco was making earlier. But when I listened to Brown Eyed Children of the Sun in the documentary, I had the exact same feeling as listening to Sam Cooke sing, a change is gonna come and, and, in the sense that it touched my soul. So. Is music then the oxygen of the movement, the thing that sustains it? Would that be fair? Uh, in a big way, I think it's uh, it, it helps to sustain it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I just think in a big way it helps sustain it. And it is, it is a form of an oxygen, you know, uh, because 
without it, I think um, not much thought is, is, is uh, you know, comes up, comes up for people, for, for everyday people, you know, uh, Sly Stone was a big influence on me in my life, you know, th and things like that, you know, everyday people and those mm -hmm. kind of messages, you know, it doesn't matter, black, white, brown, all the things, music has been the, the language that has inspired me to do what I do. So yeah, I think social movement, whether it be individual or in mass, you know, of the public, you know, I think it's- I could add to that, I could add to that. That's a very, you know, in the, you're, you're really right, Byron, here in the, in the, uh, uh, in the movie, there's this great line from Luis Valdez, beware of the movement that sings. Uh, and this idea of oxygen is, is important in the sense that, you know, what is it that's breathing in us as a result of this? And so, you know, uh, I'd like your, your comment about brown-eyed children of the sun, uh, because, you know, it ends with a, song, with a question. What will you be giving to your brown-eyed children of the sun? And, and the first song in the film, uh, that it also begins, it has a question. It says, I, you know, as I walk along this land, you know, I wonder, will my children reach the promise of equality? And, and so one of the things that this music does, it doesn't just entertain in this film. What, what Andres and, and uh, Abel did is they turned the music into a form of education, critical education, series of questions for us who watch it of how we can become involved in this. And so it's not only the oxygen that helps us live now, it's an oxygen that helps us move into the future. And that's what's so special about this film and what I think the filmmakers have done. I think also, if I could add, um, not only does it uh, present a question, but I think that music and art also create reminders that, um, that can come back and uh, remind people what the struggle was about and what still needs to be done. Uh, th there's a video that I recently saw of a crowd of, it, it looked like 100,000 or more people in Santiago, Chile, who were uh, singing along with one of the old groups from the early 70s that was doing popular music in Chile as part of the new song, uh, song music movement in Latin America. Um, and in the song, there's a, uh, a spoken element, which is el pueblo unido jamás será vencido. The people united will never be defeated. And um, this legacy group from uh, the early 70s was singing to this crowd of a couple hundred thousand people who were addressing political and social issues that are relevant today, because this happened maybe a month ago. And when it came to the, to the point of doing that spoken part of the song, this enormous outcry came up with 100,000 people chanting, el pueblo unido jamás será vencido. The people united will never be defeated. So it's, it's not just, I think uh, an oxygen that, that uh, inspires people, but it's also a, re a reminder for people of what the struggle is about. Um, music can do that beautifully because of, of the lyrics, but the artwork can do it as, as well in terms of, uh, of the images that, that are in these 
you know, incredible pieces of art that, that were done by artists during that period uh, in support of the farm workers. Andres, I'm gonna stay with you. Um, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this also, Abel, but with all we've talked about that you've all put into the film and the, and, and the outcomes um, that you, that you, that you uh, based the film on, were you, were you conscious about, and this is something that I think, I think Professor Carrasco touched on it, but were you, I think, I may mean, I just you touched on it, but were you conscious about making sure that Cesar Chavez was not a one-dimensional figure, that you wanted to make him three-dimensional, um, that he was a father, he was a grandfather, he loved jazz, he loved to dance, he wore zoot suits. Was that, were you intentional about that? Oh, absolutely, definitely. Um, when we started this project, and um, basically we started it as a music video, and then Abel showed the music video to Maya Angelou, and Maya Angelou loved it and uh, told Abel that he had to produce a documentary um, based on this. When, when that happened, we, Abel and I spoke. We had done a few other interviews just to support the original project. And we realized that um, films have been made about the farm workers. Films have been made about Cesar Chavez. Uh, films have been made about this subject and good films and that, that it covered the history well. Um, and we realized that we didn't want to do that again, but that there was uh, an element to the struggle that really had not ever been uh, uh, presented in any documentary films. And that was the relation of, of art to the movement, music, et cetera. And um, in the process of interviewing uh, the family in particular, but also the artists who knew Cesar Chavez, like Little Joe. Uh, Little Joe, described to us how he would sit down with Cesar in, in private, private moments and uh, have very personal kinds of conversations with him. We uh, definitely realized that uh, these other elements were, were going to be the heart of uh, this documentary. And as he said, Cesar was not going to be a one-dimensional figure in this documentary, but someone who was really surrounded by uh, music, uh, arts, uh, religion as well uh, in moving forward with what he did. Abel, anything you want to add? Yes, I, I think uh, on your question too, what struck me was uh, one of the things that I wanted to really, that I'm, I was grateful that we depicted this was, uh, says his life, you know, he was a human being. He was a, a, a regular guy beginning as a regular person. And all the leaders that we talked about earlier were at one early on regular people, not great heroes, so to speak. And so shedding that light in this film, I think was a, a, also a pleasure for me to, to depict that because uh, like Maya Angelou is a, a long, long, lifelong friend of mine. And I know that her history, I mean, everybody sees her as what she was, you know, the ultimate poet and beautiful uh, lady, but her upbringing, her history, if you read her biography and know her history, she was a regular person and the change 
came about through her life that made her who she became that hero same with Cessa, Martin Luther everybody that, that we've talked about earlier and and I I really enjoyed that part because I hear a lot of feedback from people saying wow I didn't know that about Cessa I didn't know he was a pachuco I didn't know you know he was a regular guy and and I think that gives hope to the, the average person all of us you know to all people so especially the youth you know that you know you those people attain that through the changes and through the influence and whatever moved them to become the leaders they became and carry that beautiful message that they all have. So that was a part of me that I'm glad that we were able to uh, translate in this film, you know. Professor Crossbow, go ahead. Uh, just to build on that, you know, I've had a chance over my career as an historian of religions to study great leaders. And one of the things that I've learned about leaders uh, like the ones that just been mentioned and Cesar Chavez, is in a sense, they have three really great dimensions. The first dimension, as Abel was just saying, and as Andres said earlier, they're, they're just somebody. Like in some sense, they're like the rest of us, farm worker, organizer, musician, guy on the street. And they have that kind of, that materiality, that kind of reality to them. But, but they have another dimension. And that dimension is, as they've shown in this film, is kind of an everybody. You know, they have so many wonderful qualities and, and other many people can come and identify with them, no matter whether you're male, female, black, brown, rich, poor, you can, you can be drawn to these people. They become everybody. But the really greatest of these people, they become nobody. That is, they come to represent some of the most important values that people share. That is, in a sense, they, they arrive, they, 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 they rise above history. And in this case of Cesar Chavez, he, he comes to represent not only love and courage, but a tremendous amount of solidarity with the least of us. And so in a sense, he's a somebody, he's an everybody, but he's also a nobody because he comes to represent these profound values that we all need to share. And I think this film really shows that about him. Uh, I have one line. Uh, I want to add one line with, with the professor just uh, described. And Taj Mahal said a beautiful line in an interview we did with him that uh, touched on the same thing. Uh, uh, he said, you know, everybody is somebody. Nobody is nobody. And that line just rocked, rocked me because that, that, that's what Professor just described and what I think, uh, you know, we're all talking about, you know, with this last uh, question and, and topic we just talked about. <laughs> but I love that line. When Tosh said that, he hit a home run to me, you know. Professor Carrasco, I'm going to start with you. You raised it. You raised her earlier, but I want to hear from all of you on, on this question. I mean, uh, the, in my view, this project is long overdue, but you can't talk about Cesar Chavez without mentioning the legacy of Dolores Huerta. When candidate Barack Obama back in 2008 were leading chants of Cisse Puede, he was channeling Dolores Huerta. Um, so, Professor Carrasco, I'm going to start with you. Give us, give us some, some extended thoughts on her legacy as well. Well, I'd really like to, to pass the word over to Andres, who I think uh, knows a lot about her life and her sure. role struggle and also Abel. Uh, I'll just say this about Dolores Huerta. You know, her name is really special. You know, the first name Dolores, people don't realize that Dolores is a very powerful name in Latin America and in Spanish. It really means... Uh, struggle or pain, it means suffering, but huerta really means a kind of a garden or a place where things are cultivated. And in a sense, she represents that person who 
who, who cultivated through suffering and suffered through cultivating in this movement. Uh, and so her name and her, her life is so important. You know, she's still alive. She's still doing the wonderful things. And uh, somebody who can speak to those uh, wonderful things is, of course, uh, is Andres. Well, um, I think that with Dolores Huerta, it's important to, to understand that the organizing movement, the movement that, that led eventually to the farm workers movement, started uh, with not just with Cesar Chavez and his intentions, but also with Dolores Huerta. They uh, met one day early on in uh, Los Angeles when they were, were both living there uh, after being introduced um, uh, to each other by somebody else in the movement. And together they decided that what they needed to do was to form a union of farm workers. So it was really from the very beginning, Dolores and Cesar who, um, who worked on building the farm workers union. Um, Cesar was you know, definitely a leader and he was recognized as well by, by the Filipino workers who, as I described earlier, had already been for a number of years organizing in the fields of California. But he was recognized as being the, the, um, the stronger leader when the, the union was, was formalized. Um, not only that, but there were also more Mexican workers than there were Filipino workers. But uh, they agreed that Cesar was the, the, the strong, strongest leader to lead the United Farm Workers Union, the UFW. But uh, there is absolutely no doubt that the, a driving force, if not the driving force behind the organizing that happened over the years with the union was Dolores Huerta. She had, uh, uh, she was driven, she had an energy, she had a commitment that, um, you know, as David just said, uh, has continued in to, to this day. And she not only gave her energy and her time to organizing the union, but she also gave herself physically. She put her body on the front lines and was injured a number of times in, in uh, situations, in, in labor situations during the struggle. So no doubt, Dolores Huerta is, is a, a key figure in this history. And, you know, in, in, in related to that, uh, there were many women artists, uh, musicians, and, and artists that were involved in the in the work that we've described in the film, who played key roles and who have continued active to this day. Now, oh, um, Sam, with you, just, when is the film scheduled for release to the general public? The film has shown at a couple of film festivals now, and has uh, just recently done a, a run in at Sedona, in Sedona at a theater. But its official release will be beginning of March, March 11th, and it will be released in theaters in New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And shortly after that, it'll be released in theaters around the country. So uh, uh, March 11th is the actual release date. 
March being the 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 Cesar Chavez month, the month of his when we celebrate his birthday and his work, and um, we have uh, information about all of that on our website, which is songforcaesar.com. Okay, uh, I'm going to start with uh, Abel. I'm going to go around. Last last thoughts on the legacy of Cesar Chavez. I think it's uh, my my thoughts are it's so important. Um, and what I what I really got a lot of uh, from Cesar and the movement and, and the people we've described and Dolores especially, uh, I wanted to add to Dolores's uh, description. She's a powerful, powerful lady. Uh, I've had the pleasure many times to be with her when she when she speaks the truth to power. You know, I mean, she's been she said things and uh, some people I've been in front of her with some uh, people that needed to hear the truth. And Dolores just stood right up, and I've always been, uh, you know, just in awe of, of her, her drive and her ability to speak the truth. And, and you know, she just, uh, Dolores is, yeah, alive and kicking, so to speak. She can really uh, deliver the message. And you said channeling uh, when Obama. Uh, it's very true. Um, that uh, yes, we can, because one thing I want to bring out is a lot of people think that Cesar Chavez or the movement was Si Se Puede. Dolores Huerta was the one that started that, uh, that line, Si Se Puede. And uh, she, so she's the one that should be given the credit and an acknowledgement of that, um, just to clarify that. But um, anyway, I can't say enough about the Lotus, but uh, I'm so glad that she, uh, she still continues her work. And it is, she's a powerful, powerful lady. Um, and and on, on the, the question, I believe you said about Cesar and, and the legacy, I think um, one thing that I, I'm relating to with, with his legacy is that uh, uh, Professor Carrasco said about, uh, you know, a religion was part of it or the, a faith a faith in, um, and, and his was spiritual and, and very, very broad, you know, it wasn't just tied to one specific religion. It was a spiritual. And, and what I, I gleaned from, from all that is that um, there's this line that says faith without works is dead. And, and also works without faith is dead. And I think that faith is what gave all the strength to Cesar in many ways, because he was very, connected that way and like the other leaders that we talked about earlier so that's what it leaves me with is to continue to try to do the work or or encourage others to do the work you know that is so well needed and i and i'm grateful to Cesar. you know he's, he was important back then he's important now and he'll be important in the future so i'm really grateful that we're to be part of this project and this, this film but thank you very much well, professor carrasco your final thoughts so, so well said by uh, Bell there. I think that uh, for me, Cesar Chavez's legacy is expressed in two words in Spanish. The first one is the word lucha, which means struggle. And that the legacy is always to be in struggle uh, because of that ladder, that pyramid I talked about and that part of human beings that likes to hurt other parts of human beings. Uh, and the other part is the word esperanza or hope. Mm. Hope means openness to the future, to the possibilities of what can happen when you put faith and works together. You know, toward the end of the film, you have a film clip of him in which he says, you know, he says, you know, fight for this good cause because we will win, you know, and that's that esperanza. 
And I think that especially in a time we live in now, in this country politically, where people are losing faith and they're losing hope because of the all kinds of uh, uh, you know, dead heads uh, in the negative sense that are in the, in the leadership in this country. It's important to have this Esperanza represented not only by Cesar Chavez, but by the life of Dolores Huerta. Andres, last word. I think for me, the legacy of Cesar is that the humblest of us can achieve incredible things. That's part of the legacy. The other part for me is that is uh, the legacy of commitment and sacrifice, which I think David was talking about. Basically, that he was committed and willing to sacrifice anything. And in the end, I think he sacrificed his life for what he believed in. And I think that that's a lesson that will carry us forwards. The title of this documentary, A Song for Cesar. My guest for this hour has been Abel Sanchez, Andres Alegria, and Professor David Carrasco. Gentlemen, I wanna thank you so much for lending your expertise and, and I wish you much success on this project and thank you for joining me today on The Public Morality. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Sarah Byron. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to the Public Rally on WSNC can now listen on its app. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama, for allowing us to broadcast the Public Rally at their studios. The Public Rally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.